0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of a, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions.
2: I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose I've got the leprosy of the heart bone Exacerbating my incredible woes I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave An ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave I want a magic pill for all my ailments The health equivalent of Citizen Kane And if I don't get it now in the tablet I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane I want a requiem for my disease. So I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve.
3: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio. Now on podcast, I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medical provider who gives... Street cred to me and keeps away the alternative medicine assholes. Hello Dr. Scott. Hey Dr. Steve. This is a show for people who've never listened to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you got a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347. 347- visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news and stuff you can buy. Uh, Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse, practitioner, practical nurse, physician, assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory, scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right. Very good. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, big boy. Uh, Don't forget stuff.drsteve.com. Stuff.drsteve.com for all of your, uh, you know, Amazon needs. And we also have a link there to the uh, Roadie computer, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's a uh, computer that tunes your your, uh, guitar, mandolin, or any stringed instrument. Maybe, probably not a violin, a stringed, fretted instrument. And um, uh, you can check that out at stuff.drsteve.com. Go to tweakedaudio.com, offer code FLUID for 33% off the best earbuds for the price. Check out wine.drsteve.com, W-I-N-E dot doctor steve for um, the uh, I think by far the best wine club uh, on the internet and uh, if you want to lose weight now that the holidays are over noom dot I gained some weight over the holidays I'm already on my way back to uh, to you're fighting weight um, yeah I'm I'm I was I, boy, I gained a bunch. I went kind of crazy. But you can do that on Noom. If you go crazy, you just know that you got to get back on that horse again and ride it some more. So, Noom, N O O M dot Dr. drsteve dot com, not a diet. It is a psychology program that helps change your relationship with food. I no longer fear uh, gaining weight anymore because I know I can lose it again and uh, keep it down. And I've kept it down basically. Uh, from where I was, which is almost 200 pounds, down to 160-something uh, for the last two years using Noom. Yep. Well, Dr. Scott, uh, cha- is your uh, simplyherbals.net still up? It's up. I got an email from somebody saying that they couldn't get your famous- this, uh, The sinus spray. Sinus spray. So yep. what, what's going on with that? We took it off. We took we took off the sinus spray. The early. one thing that people wanted, during yeah. The-
4: but hell, we couldn't with this COVID shit. We couldn't we couldn't get it get it get it in. So oh really? Yeah, we do have it in now, so we're we're good. So and you're putting it back up. Yep, and a, it should be up next week. And our friend that um, sent us the uh, email, yeah, um, he
3: should have. Two sinus sprays tomorrow. Yeah, he said you hooked him up, so yeah. that's good. Got to take care of him. So So what, what is the, yeah, what's the major malfunction? It's just um, pipeline stuff? Yeah, just pipeline stuff. How do you do this? So, so you have this proprietary, you can't just um, cook up some stuff in your kitchen and then put it in a bottle and put it on the internet and sell it, right? Right, right. Well, you can you can make it in your, in your garage. You can? No. Oh. No. Okay.
4: But we have, oh, a, uh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, we have a manufacturer, and and the problem is, is, is with the COVID and the restrictions and non-essential workers and mm-hmm.
3: transportation and stuff. It's just been a beast of a year. I wouldn't think people making medications would be essential workers. One would think, but so what kind know, of place year. do you? Okay, so you you have this idea, yeah. And I know I tried to come out with a hair uh, tonic that actually had Rogaine in it and <laughs> had minoxidil because it works. Sure. But uh, double vasectomy turd had an idea for some, he had a formula for conditioner. And I said, well, it, you know, a leave-in conditioner with Rogaine in it would probably sell pretty well. Sure. But what we found was we can sell the Rogaine and we can sell the conditioner, but you can't put them together. Like, you couldn't mix them together. You'd have to sell them separately. And it's like, well, shit, people can just... I don't want to sell stupid Todd's, um, you know, conditioner. I wanted to sell my mishmash of the two things. And that wasn't uh, possible to do. Because Rogaine (laughs) or Minoxidil is actually uh, regulated by the FDA. So you would have to... I guess um put the two together do the studies and then submit for FDA approval. Right. But you th- we could sell the already approved monoxidil and then the conditioner doesn't need to be approved. Mhm. But we couldn't put them together. But anyway. But yeah, but even even with the even with that conditioner,
4: there's still, you still have to have a lot of checks and balances for safety and. Yeah,
3: yeah. You don't want to put lye You don't want to put lie in there. We got no lye in there. Well, we got the lye soap and we put it in there, and <laughs> they, their, their scalp fell off.
4: <laughs> yes, and that would. and you that know there's There was always, and there's always going to be somebody that's going to happen to. Yeah. And they're going to say it's your fault, and you know it's just hard to. You so know, especially when the,
3: there's a full moon out. Like so what's today. the process? Actually, that, you bring up an interesting point. People always say, "Well, there's more deliveries during the full moon." It's not true. Mm-hmm. No, but it's not true. M- there's more insanity during the full moon. Well, uh, okay. As um, far as behaviorally, I don't even think that turned out to be true because you they did. So? Now they did a study where they gauged admissions to, you know, ERs to somewhere. lunatic wards. Yes. Yes. Um, and they did not correlate with the phases of the moon, but the word lunacy comes from the full moon, right. and it was thought that perhaps it caused that. What it probably was is PMS, because you know women's cycles are twenty-eight days. The lunar cycle is twenty-eight days, so people back then thought that the two things somehow were connected. Pretty frequently uh, connected, I'm sure. Yeah, well, not connected at
4: all, but they no, are no. both twenty-eight. But it day appeared cycles. to, yeah, it appeared right, to be. Right, right. Years ago and before, you
3: could do a lot of. A lot of studies and research, and so if you've ever, you know, I don't, you know, no flies on any of their uh, f- friends of the uh, of the female gender who <laughs> um, have PMS. But Lord, oh. I can see where the word lunacy might have come from. That if you associated that with the phases of the moon.
4: No and hell, if you got a couple of them in the same office together, and that is interesting. Yes, it is. That very does seem to be an
3: actual phenomenon.
4: I, I, and that makes sense from an evo- yeah. evolutionary
3: sta- standpoint.
4: Yeah, and, and you and I both have a staff that's primarily made of females, right? And um, by design, by design, yes, because well, obvious reasons. But <laughs> no. the uh, the uh, but there's there's, there's definitely <laughs> crap. there's definitely some kind of. Um, it would be interesting to know how how when they start to cycle and they all cycle at the same time. It's just
3: the most bizarre thing. Well, think about it this way: um, there, there's, I have two hypotheses. Either women actually do cycle together, in which case I could come up with an evolutionary advantage to that, and the evolutionary advantage would be that if you're in a cave and saber, saber-toothed tigers are stalking you, you don't want you want people to be, you know. Uh, passing blood from their vagina. And this is before the age of tampons and stuff. Sure, of course. And uh, sanitary napkins. So uh, you want them to be bleeding the least amount of time as possible. Right. So if you've got eight women in a cave and they're all just randomly bleeding. Well, they're going to be bleeding all Every the time. Day, yeah, that'd be terrible. But Whereas if they sync up, then they'll only be bleeding for three or four days together. And then the other, you know, 25 days, that saber-toothed tiger can't smell that. the You know, it can't detect the blood emission. So that, that's now the other side of it is maybe it's bullshit and they don't cycle, but we only notice it when they do. So there's a selection right. bias. Right, sure. So if you have two... Um, uh, let's say you have a 29-day cycle and a 28-day cycle. Well, once every whatever, however many days it is, there's is, they'll, they'll coincide. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a bunch of women in an office and three or four of them have their cycles all of a sudden just coinciding, then you'll notice, oh, hey, we're all linked up. But yep. they may not be. One might be 26 days, might be 29 days. But every once in a while, they'll link up. Yes. Just like the conjunctions. Of the stars, stars you know, every is, once yeah. in a while they'll link up and go, "Oh, look at that!" And the rest of the time we don't pay any attention. So I don't know which one it is. Matter of fact, that's I'm, interesting. Well, hell, let's let's look it up. I was going to do same do thing. menstrual because the the question then becomes, um how would they link up? It would have to be pheromonal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one would assume. Sync. There we go. Do menstrual cycles sync? Let's see if anybody has. Uh, this is Healthline. Okay, here's PubMed. Now, PubMed, PubMed.gov is the searchable database of the National Library of Medicine. is free to everybody to use. It has all kinds of peer-reviewed stuff in there, and your old buddy's got about 100 articles in there himself. This is from Human Nature 20, 2006, and it says it is widely believed. Uh, this is by uh, Yang and Shank in the, in the uh, uh, journal Human Nature. It says it's widely believed that women who live together or who are close friends synchronize their menstrual cycles. We re-examined this phenomenon in two ways. First, we collected data on menstrual cycles from 186 women living in dorms for over a year. That should be a good, a pretty good <laughs> thing. We found that women living in groups did not synchronize their cycles. Second, we reviewed the first study reporting menstrual synchrony. Okay so there was a, a a previous study we found that group synchrony in that study was at the level of chance because remember if you have 100 people if if you have um i think it's 25 people in a in a classroom in a classroom you ask them who their when their birthday their birthday is it's you got a 50/50 chance of having two people that have the same birthday yep. which yep. seems crazy, crazy but you can work out the it's a you know first year probability uh, uh, question in, you know, college probability and statistics, yeah. so um, then that could happen if you have a large enough group of women, and oh, it yeah. says uh, we found that group synchrony in that study was at the level of chance. We then show that cycle variability produces convergences and subsequent divergences of cycle. I'm going to give myself give one of these. a bill and may explain perceptions of synchrony. So that would that was my second hypothesis. Because if the first hypothesis is true, then the, you have to postulate a mechanism. Mm-hmm. And there's no known mechanism for pheromones in humans. But that would be the only way that would happen. I mean, how would I transmit my cycle to you? It would have to be through uh, some mechanism. Oh, yeah. If it were either visual, but right now, the women don't see each other's periods running down their mm-hmm. legs. No. And um, or it would have to be you know, olfactory. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else could it be? God, I don't know, but it's got to be. Besides primos. magic, yeah. Well, then, okay, yeah. so that would be olfactory, where yeah. one woman sure. is exuding some. Uh, ex- external hormone that the other people are in taking into their bodies through their nose.
4: Yeah, that you don't recognize or that, register. That you wouldn't butt.
3: recognize it or register. That would be That's the there. only mechanism that I could come up with that would make any sense. And there's no evidence that that ever happens. And this study was, looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. And um, they they looked at previous studies that said there is synchrony, and they said, hey, wait a minute, you know, statistical analysis shows this is chance. And then they looked at a cohort of their own and showed that there was no synchrony. So mm-hmm. it looks like that's a myth that's busted, which would be a good one for medical myth busters if we ever decided to do that TV show. I think we better do it soon before we get too old. <laughs> yeah. No, they like old doctors. <laughs> they think that that we give gravitas old, to these things. Old doctors. We'd have to have one young one that's, like, cool and hip. Yeah. Nice and hair young. and thin. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. All right. So that's interesting. So what What the hell were we talking about, though? The um, the lunar <laughs> cycle, too, about um, – hey,
4: I was reading this thing in the BBC. They were talking about the lunar cycle, and there's increased criminal, criminal activity during the full moon. But part of that may be because – Because they can see they better. They can see better, yeah. See better in the dark, sure.
3: yeah.
4: So maybe it's – um That's interesting. Maybe all
3: the freaks come out at night because they can see better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that old joke about the drunk looking for his keys under the street light and they go, Well, did you lose them here? He's like, No, it's the only place I got enough lights (laughs) to run. You never never heard that. I never heard that, no. (laughs) All right, here we go. Number one thing. Don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right, we got a lot of questions. Some COVID, some not, so but mostly COVID. Uh oh.
2: Uh, Hi, Dr. Steve. Um, I sent you an email recently um, with a link to a story from New York Magazine uh, that was written by uh, the author Nicholson Baker. Um, He recently was also interviewed by Penn Jillette, and he um, has a seemingly reasonable story about the possible origin of the coronavirus um, and whether it was natural or if it was Perhaps created in a lab and accidentally leaked, right. um, not nefariously leaked, but just as an accident. Oh, go ahead. Um, and, is this just? I more mean, con-
3: why not postulate it's nefarious if you're going to if you're going to come up with a theory like that? Sure. Why? Why not? Yep. But anyway, throw um, somebody a conspiracy
2: this. theory nonsense, or do you think it's likely? Um, also, in the article, he went into some detail about. Um,
3: See, and people will say, oh, it, what, it, I don't think it was nefarious, I think it was an accident to keep from being labeled as a conspiracy theorist. Mm. But this is just, uh, you know, it, it's as likely as anything else, but there is evidence um, on, to one side of this that I'll talk about in a second. Um,
2: gain of function research, which was pretty interesting to read about, and also the ethics uh, surrounding that and whether it's something that we should be doing for science Or if it's just too much of a risk to the public.
3: Okay. So let's answer the first one about um, the coronavirus, whether it was manufactured. So for a long time, I thought maybe they were studying it in the lab Mm -hmm. and it got out. I think that's still possible. Sure. Um, Now, there was a team of biologists, infectious disease researchers and biosecurity experts uh, did a report. That was published in the journal Nature Medicine, which is not some, you know, cockamamie. Sure, mamie pamby. Yeah, not online. And did you know in England they say nimby pimby and we say namby pamby here? Uh -uh. Isn't that weird? That's kind of weird. Kind of changed. Um, But uh, I I learned that from the Great British uh, Baking Show, by the way.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. That's cool.
3: Um, but they said, you know, we don't believe any type of laboratory-based scenario is possible. I don't care about their beliefs. What's their evidence? So uh, they, they drew on research that compared the genetic signatures of three sets of viral samples. The first were drawn from patients who became, became sick with uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection. And the second came from bats living near Wuhan, China which were sometimes brought to an open-air market. And then the third was from pangolins, which are these mongoose-like animals from Malaysia that were known to have been illegally imported into China. So the analysis revealed a direct family relationship among the three. The bats were the likely origin of the coronavirus that appeared in Wuhan, but the virus needed to undergo some key genetic shifts to be able to infect humans because... You know, something that can infect bats can't might not necessarily be able to infect us. Now, when when an infection jumps from an animal to a human, it's called zoonotic uh, transmission. But anyway, um, so um, a lot of the key required changes were found in the more distantly related viruses from the pangolins. So you had the pangolins had a virus that could, you know, had the genetic mutations to infect humans. The bats had the SARS-CoV-2 precursor. Hmm. And um, so there's, you know, luck involved. There always is with these transmissions from an animal to a human that there has to be a quote-unquote lucky in this case, bad luck yeah. a mutation that allows it to jump from one to the other. But when you've got trillions and quadrillions of particles all undergoing some natural selection in their hosts, this can this happens. I mean, it becomes way more probable at that point because of the huge numbers. Um, but uh, you know, it could take on the mutations needed to infect humans while being cultured in a lab it's more likely that nature simply made that jump once in the pangolin and somewhere um in the this you know diverse group of unsampled bats it, it appeared to have done so again so um now i'm reading from an article this is from the new york times as a synopsis of the nature article i thought it'd be a little less dense scientifically uh Researchers who sift through the genetic sequences of dozens of preserved viral samples found the new coronavirus is a distant cousin of the coronavirus that caused the SARS outbreak of 2002 and 2003 and the coronavirus that gave rise to Middle East Respiratory Syndrome or MERS, which, thank God, that one didn't become a pandemic. That's a bad one. 33% yeah. case for fatality, yeah. you know, compared to, you know, 3% for this one. Um The virus responsible for COVID-19 has distinctive features that separate it from its predecessors by many, many generations, uh, according to a report in the Journal of Virology. But none of the genetic mutations look like one's a scientific genius would engineer in a lab to tweak a virus for better performance. We've been saying this for a long time. I read a, a paper at the beginning that said the genetic mutation that causes this thing to be able to stick to human ACE2 receptors is not something someone would predict. It looks crazy. It looks like it shouldn't work. And that's the main reason why um, it's unlikely that this thing was gene- engineered for this. Gotcha. Because gotcha. nature is weird. You yeah. know, it just, shit happens, and these sort of random mutations, and then one hits, and then it it, it makes it more um, available for this virus to uh, be to multiply through the population. Right. And uh, it, it, if it works, it works. Nature doesn't care if it looks weird to us. No. And, um And anyway, um, yeah, the, instead they have all the hallmarks of gradual accretion of changes that occurred over time as virus encounters new environments and the immune systems of new organisms because it's always trying to evade those. And uh, in other words, this team wrote in this, in this article in um, nature medicine, that SARS-CoV-2 looks like a virus that has evolved. Now, other researchers examined the 30,000 pairs of RNA letters in the virus's genome and located the juncture where a mutation most probably changed its anatomic features. The authors of the analysis in another journal, Nature Microbiology, also not a Crappy journal offered plausible natural circumstances to explain explain how it would have happened. For instance, they cited research showing that when chickens were reportedly exposed to a harmless virus from swans, the virus developed mutations that made it capable of killing every chicken it infected. Well, don't do that. <laughs> I gotta have my chicken wings. They cited now can you imagine if that got loose? Oh no. They cited lab experiments to show how the virus's changing shape would have allowed the organism to latch on to infect and hijack human cells, and they detected biological strategies the virus had adopted that enabled it to spread from host to host, but just barely. The mechanism looked a lot more like the kind of hack that would evolve naturally in a coronavirus, not like the optimal solution a genetic engineer would choose. Finally, they looked for telltale signs of genetic tampering It would have been left behind by purposeful manipulation in a lab. These so-called reversed uh, genetic systems are used in the making of coronavirus vaccines and treatments they've been described in detail in scientific reports. None are present in the SARS-CoV-2. Because I said early on, I think back in February, March, when uh, I, I was on some show, and they said, how would you know? And I said, the only way you would really know is if some wag... Uh, inserted their name in RNA coding or put a serial number or put a copyright message because you could do that. If you knew how to decode it, you could you could put a message in in this uh, RNA of this virus because it's it's just three letter um, codes. Mm-hmm. For proteins, okay. and you could figure out a way to encode a message in that because you can encode instructions to make a damn enzyme. Right, you can certainly <clears throat> encode a serial number or a message in there. So anyway, so there you go. So you know what? It's possible, but highly improbable. Right, and so as as we are in this world now, if it's highly improbable. It's probably, you know, it's people probably not will assume it. it's true. Yeah. yeah, that's a
4: stress. And that's very,
3: there's a one in a million
4: chance. Well, then there you go. Well, there you go. Well, you're you saying it. there's a chance. Yeah, you got a chance. You're that's saying right. there's
3: I, a chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. So uh, I need to download that drop because we could yeah, use that from pretty, uh, Dumber and Dumber. That's pretty funny. So you're saying there's a chance. Yes. All right. Very good.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. When you Angie that download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's dot com.
3: So, yeah, very interesting. Uh, I still think not impossible. They were studying it and it was leaked. How would we ever know? Hmm. We'd have to not just somebody saying it because we have people saying, well, that's what, you know, I was in the lab and that's what happened. We need real evidence right. and we'll never get it. Someone's got to backtrack um it, you know all these infections to the lab then we got to find it in the lab in somebody's in somebody's uh, secure um desktop you, you know whatever incubator yep. or, or the freezer somewhere and show that that's what happened and it, we'll never get that pretty tough that'll never happen pretty tough call yeah it is that ship has sailed my friend yeah, so we can so. say that that's what happened but uh, we'll never get the evidence. Not saying there aren't people it. that are thinking about it, but it's not,
4: yes, yes, no. not probable.
3: Well, look at the ad on this. You know, people say, I don't like these ads. I don't want Google knowing what I like. I love it. It oh, was just an ad for a robot sweeper that also mops your floor at the same time. Uh, I want one of those. I like targeted ads. You know what? it's that, all cool she, shit. That,
4: if, if they just had that, I know it would sell it for you if they had that, but there was like a hologram of a beautiful woman on top oh. of this writing this vacuum. Oh, for God's oh, sake. There you, you are go. the,
3: there you go. It's for a hippie. You are the least <laughs> politically correct person. Oh, right? that's not true. Well, no, you're like, so I'm going I know how you are. Check this out. Um, I have this roadie bass tuner. This is the coolest damn thing. Speaking of robots, I just what made This is a robotic tuner, and we talked about it a little bit last time. But now I have it. I got it this week, and um, see if check this out. I'm gonna just I'm I'm gonna tune up my bass, but it's already pretty tuned. you hear that beep beep? Hmm. That's it. It's tuned. Let me yeah. Take it out of tune. Let just let me a take hair. it out of tune a little bit. Hang
4: on, because it'll make a big difference. Because yes. it's funny hearing that thing crank it and crank cranking. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Let me. I don't know how I can. Let me. Let me put the mic down here. See if you can hear it. Okay. Here we go. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear it tur- turning. The... There you go. It's yeah. hard to hear on that key. Let me on that uh, string. Let me do the G string.
4: Can I tell people? It looks like a little bottle opener that yeah. you're putting on your. That you're putting on your... um, It does
3: kind of look like a bottle opener. Hang on. Here's the G-string. Come on, you bastard. I'm (laughs) Oh, it's still tuning. Oh, I've got it on... You know what? I've got it on high accuracy, so... Yep. It's still turning the key. How cool is that? And it will tune it it will go low and then come up like it should all right there There you go go. yeah good stuff
4: robots robots
3: are cool cool anyway it's a robot you can uh, you can see it at stuff.drsteve.com if you want to, but this isn't on a And just, by the way, that's what Dr. Steve now. got me for my Christmas present. I got did. one for my guitar. and But you can use it for your mandolin. Mandolin, too. yep.
4: Preferably mandolin, yep.
3: It'll do a 12-string guitar. I saw uh, one of the guys from Queen, I think. It was like... Thanks a lot, you bloody bastards, for coming out with this at the end of my career. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Because he loved it. Anyway, all right, we need to do some more. uh, What was her second question?
1: Hey, Dr. Steve, Oh. what are the um, chances that a, me as an essential healthcare worker, what are the chances that I can spread to my patients um, being that I got the vaccine, but my family members did not, and they caught COVID 19. Um, being that this disease is so contagious, can I though? still spread it to my patients?
3: Uh, that's an excellent question. So I. Uh, I think that families of essential healthcare workers should be able to get this as well. Agreed. Because what we don't know is when you get the vaccine, do you just have an asymptomatic infection, which means you could spread it. It's not easy, mm-hmm. but like you're making out with your wife or something, you know, it'd be easy to do it right. if you're singing or something like that or yelling at a football game. Or if you just have a spontaneous cough for whatever reason, or does it prevent infection? Now, it should it, Right now, in the early days particularly, it probably should prevent infection. Mm-hmm. Later on, because it's a damn coronavirus, you're going to lose that antibody immunity for whatever reason, um, and eventually. It might take a year, but then when you get it again, you probably can spread it, but you'll have a very mild syndrome or asymptomatic syndrome. So you still, we still got to be careful To this thing is just eradicated. The... Um, uh, the other thing, though, is that I think that um, families should be able to get it, um, just because you're at high risk, and they should be able to get the vaccine because easy for you to bring home. Yep. Um, the uh, what was the other part of his question, though? Wait a minute, there was something I wanted to say in there.
1: Let me let me play it back. Oh, mm-hmm. um, being that this disease is so contagious.
3: Oh, yeah, that was it. Is it, though, really that contagious? It, it seems like it is because a lot of people have it. But what's the one thing we haven't seen this year? Flu. Influenza. You know why? Because influenzas are not or the effective reproduction number is actually about half of COVID-19. So you go, well, then that means it's really infectious, right? Because influenza is infectious. Yes and no. Uh, measles are not is 12. So one person will give 12 people measles. One person will give 2.4 people uh, SARS-CoV-2. And even with this new strain that's supposed to be uh, 70% more transmissible, that just means it's 70% 70 more than 2.4, so it'd be like four. So Mm -hmm. one person will give it to four people. And that's in a fully vulnerable population. If we go to rt.live which I'll let's go there now rt.live we can look at what the actual reproduction rate of this virus is and the highest in this country is Washington State and that's 1.23 and then Georgia's 1.17 and then you get down once you get down to Arizona um, then the rest of the states so there's five of them uh, that are um, have a reproductive rate above one point one and then the rest of the other 47 are all one point one or below and the number that are below one now is increasing again at one point it was down to like um, a, a quarter or a fifth of the states had a had an effective reproductive uh, reproduction rate of um, uh, one or less, and now it's about a third. So that's good. So it's starting to, that green is starting to march back up again. And Dr. Steve, last time we looked this up, was it Tennessee was
4: like in the top four, wasn't it? And now it's dropped down.
3: Yeah, where is Tennessee now? We're, we're in a bottom four now. Oh, yeah, good.
4: Which yeah. is great. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So our effective. <clears throat> Um, reproduction rate is about 0.93, and remember, if it's above 1.0, the virus will spread. When it's below, it will stop spreading, and you'll see declining cases. Right. And we are uh, starting to see a topping off and a ta- uh, um, a slowing down of the increase in cases right now. And we should—I'm predicting—in the next couple of weeks, we'll start to see a decrease in cases again. So so. Well, just going to show you the state of Tennessee cuz we were 2 weeks ago we were a, we were, yeah, we were, four, we're yeah. up in the top or three. that is true and if you go down uh you can see where that was um Tennessee was was up to 1.2 1.10 in November oh yeah there it is yep and then you then we dropped back down to 1.0 on December 15th it's been declining ever since But we've had increasing cases. Well, why is that? Because the cases lag behind the transmission.
4: Right. Do you think there's a correlation between, and I think we talked about it before, but
3: people wearing masks and social distancing and the flu, of course. Yeah. Because it seems to be working. Well, because it's influenza's (coughs) R sub zero is Mm 1.2. So influenza's R sub T right now is probably pretty dang low. Yeah. And I haven't seen a single case of influenza this year. Clinically. I don't think. Not one. Yeah, I don't even know. And that, it's, but that's I mean, probably I mean, like if, Tennessee. Yeah. If we would do all this mask wearing and social distancing, if we just had a normal flu, which why would you do it for that? uh it, people do die from influenza but it's a, at a pretty low rate in this country uh so why would you do it but we we could just have no flu season if we wore masks and did social distancing and what they say there were but i'm not advocating that by the no, way don't no, no. start hey, no, no. you no. said – no i'm just saying if we did and
4: i'm pretty sure i heard last night on on the news that there were no reported deaths in tennessee right now from from the flu I'm, and i'm well, I'm, maybe, I'm, I'm trying don't... to find that right now okay you look for that yeah
3: all right oh um this is the wrong let me let me start this is this guy remember that we were talking about the person that fell from 23 feet
1: oh yeah hey dr david's bradigan um the guy who fell 23 feet was looking at day thank you very much for all the information i really appreciate it and also for the other doctor um i've heard uh talks about coming in and uh, the other stuff that he said but i never really believed it but now i do <laughs> okay but uh, i heard you guys talking about my fall and uh i was the luckiest SOP in the world and i fell 23 feet uh, i fell into a six-foot chain link fence and i know it sounds bad but uh that six-foot chain-length fence is now three feet tall uh, i used to pass by it all the time because uh, they left it that way and i fell into the neighbor's backyard. But if I was a foot further back when I hit it, I would have landed on my stomach. And a foot further forward, I would have landed on my back. And uh, my lead carpenter saw me fall. And he had done the same thing 20 years earlier. He calmed 15 feet. Oh, and he no. put both of his heel bones
2: through his boots.
1: Oh, boogers. was in a wheelchair for a year, crutches for six months, didn't work for two years. So when he came over to me that t-
3: Yeah, gravity is is a real pain in the ass it's tough to stuff to battle and The fact it? that gravity is just extremely minute but measurable on, you know, nanosecond and picosecond changes in time when you get away from a gravity well, that's all gravity really is ultimately. Is that time is flowing differently from my head to my ass, and that's why I'm sitting on, able to sit on this chair? That'll blow your mind. And the fact that you can just fall 10 feet and it can kill you no, or break all you know the bones in your body is just outstanding yep. in a bad way.
1: Up his nails, guy. I thought he was about to cry. I actually knew the pain I was going to be in. But I was definitely a lucky SOP when I fell that day. And also my whole entire career in construction, they always told me when you fall or, like, a, the ladder collapsed on me, the extension ladder. I just unhooked my harness and just got on the ladder and it collapsed on me. And uh, they always say get down as fast as you can to your feet. Uh, I've seen what happens from a six-foot fall. Uh, when a guy fell off uh, called Mason's Scaffold, uh, he broke his, his shoulder, his arm, held his, his hip. And they had to wait weeks for the uh, uh, shoot, inflammation to go down in his ankle before they could do surgery. Or mm. him. So, uh, and one of our painters fell about 12 feet and uh, he broke his back. So yeah. I just want to say thank you again, and I uh, appreciate all the info.
3: Well, thanks for um, for filling us in on that. But he called back and had a part two. I just I didn't listen to this part. Let's just see what it is.
1: Shoot, one last.
3: <laughs> uh, when
1: I went to the hospital, I drove there. I drove my sickness pickup to the hospital. Get so the I hell out the of the here. So to the hospital. He did bitch.
4: not believe that I fell 23 feet. No. And
1: I sat there and I went, I measured. I took out my tape measure, my 30-foot tape measure, and I measured before I went there because I wanted to see how far I fell. <laughs> and they did not believe me. What a nut. And I spent hours in the <laughs> ER.
3: This Guy's a real man, but he's a tough, he's tough. And then
1: when they finally did the x ray, I think it was about six hours later. Um, they figured out that I broke my talus. When they figured out that I broke my talus, that's when all hell broke. Cat scan, like everything. I guess you can only break your talus from a high fall, and that's when they realized that I actually fell from 23 feet. But they didn't really believe me because I drove there. The car God. and then I sort of hobbled into the hospital so you know please believe, believe your patients sometimes <laughs> Think that they're lying and they're telling the fish well
3: I don't know why somebody would think you were lying but it is I mean it's very Unless, unusual you
4: know as well as I do it in the hour, sometimes I just think everybody's a drug seeker
3: yeah um, I'm, I'm guessing he was saying that he broke his yeah. talus is that that sound like that's what he was saying yeah talus yeah yeah, that's it's one, hard of, to the, break that's that one of the bones that forms the ankle. So you got the calcaneus, the actual one that you can feel under there, and the, 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 the talus sort of intercalates with that.
4: And there's only and it, about one
3: way to break that. Yeah, it occurs it's, during high-energy events, car collisions, right. or fall from significant height. Right. And um, if you uh, break your talus, you're going to lose loss of motion and function. And uh, if you if it doesn't heal properly, it leads to complications, including limp, arthritis, and chronic pain. So uh, most talus fractures will require nat- um, will require surgery. So, And sometimes fusions, yeah. Yeah, take a look. Uh, just Google talus fractures, T-A-L-U-S, and uh, you'll see why this is so difficult. Now, I've heard of people that fall in and just take their – if you fall and lock your knees, your hips will go up into your pelvis. Oh, yeah. You know, Zen. don't do that. No, don't do that. You don't want to break uh, your pelvis. Have a slightly, slightly bent knees. Slightly bent knees. That's right. All right. Let's see here. I've got a good one uh, here that is a non-COVID related as well.
1: Hey, Matt in Charleston, how you doing? Hey, Matt.
3: I'm doing okay, hey, man. Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Good.
1: Uh, quick follow-up on uh, a few weeks ago about uh, donating blood. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to get like a workplace. Uh, blood donation event together, and I have Good job. a uh, co worker who cannot donate blood uh, because he is gay. Oh. And uh, I'm wondering why, you know, obviously, I understand the obvious concerns, but why haven't you we alleviated those concerns I don't. yet? Uh, what's holding that up? How come we can't let gays donate blood? Uh, it was obviously a sore issue for him.
4: Yeah, as I mean, it should be. He's trying to do something good to help people. Yeah, and they're By going, donating
3: blood. They're being stupid. Yeah, they're getting going. Get out of here, you. You know, so you no, know, it's I don't understand it. Uh, I there was a time when it made sense because of HIV. We didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Back in the mid '80s, they yeah. knew it was right in the mid '80s. They knew it was bloodborne, mm-hmm. and they didn't know what it was, so they couldn't test for it. So they were like, "Nope, no gays can." transmit or i mean can now uh can donate blood now there were uh, plenty of heterosexual people that then donated blood that got into the blood supply so there were people that still even though that was the case that um got hiv Mm -hmm. from blood donations it was unusual but it happened you might look how many people in the 80s got got hiv from blood transfusions well anyway So the FDA has revised the recommendations for reducing the risk of HIV transmission by blood and blood products. It says defer for three months from the most recent sexual contact, a man who has had sex with another man during the past three months. All blood uh, collection organizations in the U.S. must follow this federal requirement. And the Red Cross says that they recognize the hurt this policy has caused to many in the LGBTQ plus community and believes that blood donation eligibility should not be determined by methods that are based upon sexual orientation should be risk, not sexual orientation. That's my editorial comment. We are committing toward working toward achieving this goal. It says, as a regulated organization, we cannot unilaterally enact changes concerning the MSM deferral policy MSM men having sex with men. The Red Cross has a history of advocating for the FDA to revise their policies regarding men who have sex with men and over the past several years, the Red Cross, in collaboration with other u s blood providers, has collected data regarding the safety of the current three month MSM deferral. additionally. We continue to assist in evaluating alternative donor eligibility criteria and the expanded use of new technologies to work toward an elimination of donor eligibility questions based on sexual orientation that would no longer be necessary so anyway, so there you go now let 's what do you say? What about women who have sex with women there 's no deferral for a woman who has sex with another woman that 's because the transmission from woman to woman with hiv as um, you know it's very, very low very very low yeah so there you go so isn't that something so they're working on it it used to be six months mm-hmm. now they're saying three but for you to do the right thing if you're a gay man you have to uh not have sex for three months
4: mm-hmm. or lie about it and you know back in the 80s and early 90s if you had acupuncture you were not allowed to do it. Oh, is water. that right? Yep. Because they f- thought you guys were nasty. They thought for some reason we were dirty and sticking needles in people's veins and giving them um, hep C and HIV. Hmm. Dr. Steve, real quick, um, in the early 80s, I found this on PubMed, the best, and I'm trying to read quickly, but it looks like half um, uh, for HIV infection transmitted fatal illness is approximately half of the 16,000 hemophiliacs. Oh, and, I, yeah, I remember that. Half of the 12,000... Um, blood transfusion recipient, so that's why they became so yeah. steadfast. Which, lowered, in in poor Arthur Ashe, remember the ten, the great ten, the tennis great, yep. Yeah. And that's and sadly he, um, that's how he got HIV. How did he get it? Uh, blood transfusion. I think. I, I, really? I, I want to say. Are we sure about that? Yeah, yeah. No, he, no, he had HIV, but I, uh, I want to say he had um
3: because Ryan White got it from a blood transfusion. Yep. If you remember, people may or may not remember Ryan White. It was a big deal at the time. It was 1984. He got a blood transfusion. He was diagnosed at age 13 with uh, AIDS and uh, was given six months to live at that time, which is, you know, crazy to think about now that uh, with antiretroviral uh, uh, cocktails, we can... um, uh, you know, almost eliminate the virus completely from people's bloodstreams and they can, people can live a normal lifespan. Um, but Ryan White tried to return to school and he fought AIDS-related discrimination in his Indiana community. And uh, he rallied for his right to attend school, which gained national attention. And he became the face of public education about the disease. Uh, surprising these doctors, Ryan White lived five years longer than predicted. He died in April of 1991. one month before his high school graduation. Mm. I can't read anymore. I'm going to have to stop. Poor little feller. But yeah, he was a a tough kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's one of the first children with hemophilia to be diagnosed with AIDS. Yep. So, All right. Hey, Dr. Steve, how's it going? Hey, good, man. How are you?
4: Cool. That's great. So (laughs) my question was about uh, COVID vaccines, the Moderna one specifically. Okay. Um, it's a two-shot, and my question was if the shots are identical. Yeah. And I'm asking because I can already sort of foresee scheduling problems, mm-hmm. scheduling problems with the first one, but
1: but even with the second one. And I'm wondering what kind of notification you'd want to give the provider, if it's the second one or if it doesn't matter. Huh. And um, so, yeah, thanks.
3: Uh, I, okay, I don't know. I think I think what he's wondering is, since they're both identical, could you schedule it with two different providers in case the first one, but you can't, can't get the second one. Right. And just say, well, I'm here for my first one, and now you got two. And you're sort of finagling the system. I, I'm not 100% sure I understand this question. Now, when I got mine, they shipped both doses at Your once, doses. and then they stored the second one. But right on. I was at a place for a Pfizer vaccine that had the crazy you know, freezer that kept it at the right temperature for the three weeks that had to go between doses. So that's the way they should do it. And that way, if you get one, you're guaranteed to get the second one because it'll have your name on it. Now, uh, with the Moderna vaccine, it it doesn't have to be stored at those crazy low temperatures. So I don't know. I I have to be honest with you. I don't know how they're doing that. The way I would do it is to ship it in pairs. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe we should just look that up, too. I probably should have looked this up before the show. Um, Are the vaccines shipped in pairs? And you know what? Google will know which vaccine I'm talking about. Okay, the COVID cold chain, how a vaccine will get to you. All right. So vaccine logistics expert explains how millions of frozen vials will be widely distributed. And uh, it says uh, both Moderna and Pfizer use the same genetically engineered vaccine approach, which involves messenger RNA molecules. And um, let's see here. Oh, come on. They're manufactured in Moderna is manufacturing its vaccine in New Hampshire, Pennsylvania and Indiana. Eh, well, shit. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Just get it wherever you can freaking get it. That's right that's the thing. And just when you go to get the first one, ask you ask them about your second one. How are they going to do that? Are they shipping them in pairs? So you've already got your name on it. Because what happens if you go back and uh, for your three-week thing and they don't have it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, okay, let me see. The place doing immunization adds a diluent, creating five doses. At that point, the solution is good for six hours, so clinic has to figure out how many healthcare workers and customers will be vaccinated as it starts the dilution process for the day. Look up how the hell they're giving the second one. That's you? what I'm doing right now. Because I'm just... I'm just bullshitting at this point, you know. Um,
2: Can you please stop bullshitting and get to the question? I'm sorry.
3: I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, yeah, Scott's going to look up how they do the second shot, if, it's, if they're shipped in pairs or if they are, you just have to hope that they're going to have a second one. But ask at the time, how am I going to get my second one? How do I know you're going to have it? Okay.
5: All right. Hey, Dr. Steve. This is Ryan from Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, man. I posted a question on your Twitter that mentioned this might be better for the show, so I'm hoping you might be able to explain this in a little bit of detail, but over the past nine, ten months with everything that's going on, and especially over the past three or four months with the rise in hospitalizations, it got me thinking, um, what is the threshold for going to the hospital if you have COVID? It seems to me that there hasn't been much public health direction On this, or if there has, I missed out on it. Um, There's there's such a rise in capacity, and it got me thinking. Maybe there's a lot of people who don't even need to go, right? um, That could treat this from home, but are just really scared, understandably. Um, But if you could explain that, that would be fantastic. And thank you for everything that you do on the front lines there as a doctor. We greatly appreciate it. I don't think you get enough thanks.
3: Um and- it's that's that's my job but thank you for for saying that. Um uh so December of 2020 the, um, Boston University updated their admission criteria they're a pretty good institution and every place may have their own admission criteria. If you have a place that is overwhelmed with COVID-19 they may be treating people at home that otherwise they would have admitted. So any patient with oxygen saturated uh, oxygen saturation less than ninety four percent at rest on room air, or if they decrease to ninety percent with when they walk, or if there's any overall clinical concern by the uh, by the attending physician that this patient is going to fail at home based on high risk for complications. So you say, well, what are high risk for complications? Um, so there's this thing called a clinical risk score and you get the jama network.com has this, this clinical risk score on their, um, on their, uh, website. And it basically looks at things like what does their, um, uh, do they have an x-ray abnormality? Is there, a change in the in the x-ray right. uh how old are they are they greater than 65 do they have bleeding when they cough are they uh, at other risk because of diabetes uh Im- immune compromise and other things like that any history of cancer those kinds of things so those are the people that really need to be admitted or to make it short the people who are at high risk for complications ending up on the ventilator and uh, or death so that helps once you get to the emergency room. But how do you know if you should go to the emergency room? Right on. So it's mostly if you just feel like crap and you feel bad enough to go. It's okay to call and say, "Hey, I think I have COVID nineteen, or I tested positive a week ago, and now I'm short of breath, or I can't stop coughing, or you know, it just some it doesn't feel right," and talk to. The triage people, yep. or you got a really elevated fever that won't come down, oh, yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah, any yeah. yeah, any of those things. Yeah. And talk to them, particularly if you have risk factors. Let's go over them again. Right, age over sixty-five, body mass index greater than thirty-five. So let's let's get a body mass calculator out and figure out what that is. So BMI calculator. Let's go to um, let's say someone is six. Uh, Let's say 5'10". That's pretty average, right? Yep, 5'10 is the average. And they weigh 250 pounds. Their BMI is... uh, Where's the damn number? Oh, 35. Okay, so there you go. 35, almost 36. So anywhere between 240 and 250 if you weigh 5'10". That's someone that's in an increased risk. If you have type 2 diabetes... If you have immune compromise, all of those things. We used to say hypertension, not so much anymore. that's, a, that's, that's a, the Hypertension, everybody kind of calmed down on that one and narrowed down on these these major ones. Um, do, you, have you, do you have anything else on those? Oh, for me, no. Yeah. My, my,
4: my, I've got a couple of risk factors. Do you? <laughs> Old age. Well, you're not 65. No, I, I feel I like am. I'm
3: 65. <clears throat> you're not no so um yeah the, that's the big ones um and then there are uh these risk factors it if, if if you are um uh, you know if your ancestors are of African descent, it looks like those folks are at increased risk, risk as yeah. well um and uh poverty and and crowding well, no matter what your race is it also is a risk factor. And then certain occupations. And then pregnancy. Pregnant women are at increased risk from all respiratory viruses for whatever reason. So um, so anyway, so if, if you have any of those and you feel like crap, then definitely um, call. Or if you are, you know, acutely short of breath, you may need to go to the uh, – call the rescue squad. But let them know that you think this is what's going on because the front line – First responders are really at the highest, really risk. high risk. Sure, police, fire, rescue squad, and uh, I would step as. Uh, I've already had the vaccine because I participated in the trial, so that you all don't have to or didn't have to. But um, I would, if I hadn't been vaccinated, I would definitely step aside for someone like Wood Floor Liquor, who is you know a friend of the show, who is uh, a, you know a, a paramedic, right, and. Uh, I would step aside to let him or someone like him get their vaccine before me or, you know, a cop or a fire person because they're really they're at higher risk than I am. I can be fully in my hazmat suit. They can't and do some of the stuff that they do. All right. Very good. Well, listen, um, I don't know. You got anything else? No, gosh. Everybody everybody stay safe. Simplyherbals.net. Thanks always. Go to Dr. Scott. Uh, Tacey will be back next week. She's in training for her job right now. We can't forget Rob Sprance, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Tepp, that, that Gould girl, Lewis Johnson, Paul Offcharsky, Chowdy 1008, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Hogan's mom, sister of Chris, S- Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, the great Rob Bartlett, Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's daughter, uh, Ron Bennington and Fez Watley who supported this show has never gone unappreciated uh, also the Port Charlotte Whore um, <laughs> she's in there as well listen to our Sirius XM show on the Faction Talk channel SiriusXM XM channel 103 Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on demand and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. And that was an in-joke. If you actually are a working girl in Port Charlotte, I'm not talking about you. We love you. And we do. We love you. I would love to meet you, as a matter of fact. All right. See you, everybody. (laughs)